We talked yes, last week, talked about um, wandering into worthiness. And, um, and have you ever met someone who just seems to wander through life? Maybe that's a story of your life at one point. People that wander, they wander, they wander from, 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 from high to high, from a hit to a hit, from a deal to a deal. They wander from a party to a party, from a person to a person, relationship to relationship. They wander from a job to a job. They wander from a town to a town. They wander to a shopping spree to a shopping spree. They just wander and wander and wander through life. It's a shame to be a person that spends your life wandering. I, several months ago, um, Caleb and I were at a pastor's retreat up in uh, North Georgia, and we go there every year with some pastors in the area, and we spend four days in a cabin, um, and we just pray, and we seek the Lord uh, for most of the day uh, for our community and for our churches and for you. And it's a wonderful time, and I enjoy it thoroughly. I've gotten pretty well familiar with the roads going up there and back now. We've done it so many times. And uh, this particular uh, last year, last fall, we, we had so many, we had like a people mover. You know those people like a Bratz bus type of thing? It's just a people mover. So um, one of the churches had one, and so they loaded up the pastors. I had to come up late, so I, I had my vehicle. And coming back, Caleb was with me, and so we were just following behind the, the pastors in their, in their people moving bus. And uh, just tooling down the interstate, uh, got a little bit south of Atlanta. We were having a good time, making good time. And, and then for some unknown reason, the, the, the bus in front of us got off the exit and turned left and went over the interstate and started going down this county road. And, and I'm looking at my, so I'm following him and I'm, I'm looking into, uh, into my, 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 my uh, controls and it shows me the direction. And we're now going, we should be going southwest and we're going now southeast. And, and a few minutes later, we're going east. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the opposite direction. Caleb called them and asked what in the world's going on. We're not gas station nowhere. We're out in the middle of nowhere. So he calls and says, hey guys, what's going on? What are you doing? And they said, well, our GPS said that um, there's something going on up ahead and it rerouted us. I, I said, oh, okay. And so we keep following them and we're going further east and further east. And I, I started getting like a little attitude. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, you know, we, we're going to be, you know, in Washington, D.C. before long. And I don't really believe there's an accident that could be possibly that bad. And so I, I said, call them back and, 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 and ask, uh, what, are they sure they're doing the right thing? And so he calls them back, hey, y'all doing the right thing? I mean, I mean, we're really going out of the way. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, we just, we just got to trust our GPS. And so he, he, tell, he tells me, uh, Pastor, they said we just got to trust the GPS. And I said, I don't trust their GPS. I said, I really want to see my wife before the day's up. We're going to have to get a hotel somewhere in the middle of boondocks. Who knows where we're going to be? And I'm just talking. And finally, I said, JP, you got to get a hold of yourself. This is like, you know, you got, this is okay. You're going to be okay. And, I, you know, the, the problem is I'll never know if we made the right decision or not. We just kept following that GPS. 
And, and I believe sometimes in life, we have a hard time trusting something that sees the bigger picture. It sees the accident up ahead. It sees the failure, the faults, the mistakes that someone else has made down the road. And, and so God, our heavenly GPS, begins to redirect us. And, and, and sometimes that's really difficult because we really truly believe that the, the, the quickest route to where we're supposed to be going is this way. And yet for some unknown reason, everything looks fine right now. The weather's fine. The traffic's flowing fine. But for some reason, we seem to be going the opposite direction. And, and we feel like perhaps that, that, that maybe we need to override our GPS. Maybe we need to override our God-led, spirit-led life. Maybe God is asleep at the wheel. Maybe God isn't monitoring the computer systems as he should be. Maybe, maybe we are going to end up in a, in a bad situation. I need to maybe take the control again. And I believe that's an issue in life. We say we trust God, but, but yet... Our lives look different. We say we'll follow the Lord wherever he leads, but he leads us places we don't want to go, and so we, we go the way we want. So we live these seasons of we're following hard after God until things don't make sense, and then we abandon ship. How many can say you know what I'm talking about? All 18 people of you, thank you. I don't know where everybody else is at, but you need to get back in the, if you get back in the game here because this is a real issue. And without leaning into our divine GPS, we become no different than the Israelites who wandered through the desert for 40 years, never actually ever coming into the full purpose that God had for them. We become like a guy named Cain in the Bible, who was the first murderer of the Bible, the the first Cain and Abel, the first children of Adam and Eve. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Cain is jealous of Abel because Abel gave God a more reasonable sacrifice. But Cain didn't want to, he wanted to cheat God out of what God was due. And so he, he would bring God a little cheaper part of a sacrifice. And, and God's accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And Cain gets upset, so upset and jealous over his brother that he kills him. And the Bible, we pick up the, the story in the book of Genesis chapter 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work, this is, this is, look, pay attention to this. This is what's going to happen. This is now what's going to happen to a, a Cain. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be, listen to this, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to God, are you kidding me? This punishment is more than I can bear. This punishment is more than I can bear. I, I don't know if I can live life wondering. Because he'd never wondered before. But God said, from this point on, you're going to wonder. Wonder. 
And what Cain began to realize what is a wondering heart is likened unto a punishment. A restless heart can lead to, as he said, an unbearable life. Up until this point, Cain had vision. He had dreams. He had purpose. He, he had life. He had desires. He had hope. He, he, had, he had desires and value and things that he was going to accomplish and goals he was going after and aspirations that he would stay up at night thinking about. He, he loved life. He just loved every bit of life. But now, now everything was stripped from him and he becomes a wandering man. He loses his zest. He loses his favor. He loses the pleasure and the enjoyment of life. And literally, he becomes Comes like a robot in the earth, uh, just wandering around without purpose, without life, uh, without hope, without dreams. Uh, he's never happy here, uh, and he gets over here. Uh, maybe this will make me happy. I'm not happy here. Maybe I'll be happy over here. Maybe this will make me happy, and I wonder here. And maybe this person will make me happy. Maybe that thing will make me happy. And he wonders, uh, and he wonders, uh, and he wonders, uh, because he one time knew what it was like to live with purpose uh, and dreams and hope. Uh, but now he was banned uh, from the very purposes and the dreams. God says, I'm not sharing my dreams with you no more. I'm not telling you my purpose that I have for you anymore. Uh, son, you've, done, you've stepped over the edge. Uh, I'm just going to let you wander. Mm. Have you ever just wandered? Big old hole in your heart and it's never filled. You think you got the best you could get and only to find that you're not happy with that anymore and you wonder some more. Wondering spirit, a wondering heart. We wonder, we wonder, and we wander through life. I began to think about Jesus. It was interesting to me when you read about Jesus' life that once he went into the waters of baptism, that God begins to do something absolutely amazing. He goes into the waters of baptism, has an encounter with his heavenly Father, and immediately the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord leads him out of the water and into a desert. And for 40 days, he wanders. Now, I would have thought if I would just have been God for just a moment and I'd sent my son to redeem the world and now he had received his baptism and was now ready and equipped for ministry, I would have said, okay, son, no time to waste. Up to Jerusalem we go. I, want, I, need, I need you to get in there to the synagogue. I need you to lay out the, the, the principles of the new covenant, the new kingdom that we're going to establish in the earth. I, I need you to start healing some people. I need you to start delivering some people. I need you. So we got, we got some stuff to do. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. But no, instead, what God does is he interrupts uh, this moment in history where the encounter of redemption has just entered into the earth uh, and he takes the redeemer, the future redeemer, and he sends him, leads him by his spirit, which is the helper of God in the earth, leads him by the spirit into a wilderness. This doesn't even make sense. Mm. But there in the wilderness, 
There's the things that happened. He dealt with some temptation. That's a whole other story. The three temptations that he faced in prior life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, oh, the only temptations that we face. Every temptation you face comes under those three categories. Yes, he dealt with that, but more importantly, he goes into the wilderness as a wanderer to buy back and to redeem my wandering heart. And Jesus, up until that point, had never experienced a wandering heart. Up until that point, because the Bible tells us that he was afflicted with all of our afflictions. He, was, he, he, he went through all of his life experiencing every single temptation and, and, and flaw of the flesh that we experience. And, 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 and we never believed that he ever lived one day without purpose. But now he's wandering. He's wandering. He gets up and, 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 one day, and he, he drinks some water, perhaps eats, you know, eats nothing. He's just drinking water. He's just going around walking from day to day. He's just aimless. He's like a robot out in the wilderness. He just had this incredible encounter with his father, and now he's just wondering. He's wondering. He's like wondering, what's going today going to hold? Nothing. It was the same as yesterday. What's tomorrow going to hold? It looks like probably nothing. I, I'm hot. I'm worn out. I'm sweaty. I have no place to even lay my head. I don't know what's going on. What's happening in my life? Uh, where are you, Father? What happened? Where are you at at all? Oh, God, are you around? What's going on? This doesn't make sense. I thought you were going to use me. I thought the purpose of my life was to redeem mankind. This doesn't make sense. And he wondered. Why did he wonder? Because he had to know what you do every day of your life before you met him. You wondered. And he had to identify with your wondering spirit uh, so he could, in his ending of his life, redeem or buy back uh, and purchase the gift uh, of being a person who's no longer a wanderer, but a person who's steadfast, uh, a person who's immovable, a person who is like a rock, uh, a person that you can't change and drift from this place to this place. You're not double-minded. You're not one way one day and another way another day. You are immovable. You're steadfast. You're a rock uh, because your feet are planted on the rock uh, of Jesus Christ uh, and you no longer wonder because he paid the price for you. Come on, somebody. Paul says, be on your guard and stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong and do everything in love. Yeah, things may look a little shaky right now, but you got to hold firm. You got to be steadfast and you don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to drift through life. You don't have to go through weeks and months at a time wondering if you're even in, if God's even near or if you're in his presence or if God hears your prayers. You, you don't have to live life like that anymore. Those days are gone. It's a brand new day. Your Savior redeemed you from a wandering lifestyle. Oh, man, that blesses my heart. There's nothing more tormenting than being a person that is in a place but it's not happy and content in the place they're at. But being steadfast, immovable, a rock, there's nothing like that. For as many as are led, Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that you are a son of God. I want you to look at your notes. Chapter uh, number one, what allowed Jesus the ability to overcome the desire to wonder? Number one, he knew he was a son. When you know you're a son, 
of God. Everything begins to change. Luke chapter 3, let's look at this. When all the people were being baptized, we just shared it a few minutes ago. And as he was praying, heaven, Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And get this, a voice comes from heaven. This voice comes from heaven. Now this voice could have said multitudes of things like, yo, what's up? Hey, buddy, congratulations. Cool, this is amazing. No, the voice spoke with purpose. And he says to Jesus as he comes out of the water, this is my son, or you are my son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Mm. We, uh, we have a, a small group in our church called Authentic Manhood. If, if you're a man in this house and you're looking for a small group, you need to be in Authentic Manhood. And it is a life-changing uh, series. It will alter your life as a father, as, as a husband, as, as just a man, period. And so we have this uh, small group also we offer for the fire department every Sunday morning. Johnny Walker does, leads it, and I help him. And we were there this morning. We were talking <clears throat> literally about uh, the wounds of a father <clears throat> and how important it is for a father to declare over his son the words, I love you, and this is why I love you, and you are my son. I don't believe there's a son alive that can not hear that enough. And we are all, if you would, sons and daughters of a king, of a father who loves us. And what Jesus heard was, I'm a son. And when you realize that you're a son, what that tells you is that you have value. And that you've now entered into an inheritance of the farm. You don't need to go over here to find value or over there to find purpose. Now you realize that the farm is your inheritance and everything you need is on the farm and you have the presence of your father and you've got all this abundance that the father brings. Why and where could I find anything more? I have it all right here. This is all I need. So for them, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The issue in the body of Christ is we preach servanthood so well and so good and so long that we've forgotten that there's another part that you graduate out of servanthood and into being sons of a living God. I need you to turn your, help me preach and turn your neighbor this morning and tell them you're a son of God. Now you're not the son of God. Remind him of that. You're not the son. <laughs> but you are a son or a daughter. And so, we have talked about, well, listen, if you want to love the Lord, you got, you, you know, listen, you got to serve. You got to be serving. And I, I'm, I'm, I buy into that completely, 100%. But serving or doing without a revelation of sonship, that you're a son, leads you into what we call works, 
or in the church world, we call it dead religion. It's a, it's a works-based mentality. You have a relationship with God is based upon what you do, not who you are. And if you have a relationship with God, it's based upon what you do. He likes me today because I, I gave some alms or I helped somebody out. I gave him a ride, you know, that they were driving along and I changed the tire so God must love me today. And, and, and maybe tomorrow you messed up, you kicked the dog and you yelled at the kids and, and God don't love me. I can't pray today. I can't talk to God. If you have that kind of relationship with God that he loves you by the things you do or don't do, then you are a person that's bound in a service or work types mentality. But God says, I've given my son to redeem you of that kind of mentality, I just need you to know that you're my sons and that no matter what you think or don't think about yourself, you are worthy of everything I have to give you. You are a son and all that I have is yours. <clears throat> There's a difference between being a son and being a servant. A servant doesn't bust up into the house, go to the refrigerator, open it up, pull out a soda, pop the lid, and start chugging down in the kitchen. A son does. How many parents we got up in the house? I realized, I realized early on, my dad, my dad used to, my dad, we never had sweets around our house. I don't know why we didn't have a lot of sweets in our house, but we never had sweets. So whenever there was cookies showed up. It was like heaven. But my mom wouldn't buy, typically, she wouldn't buy cookies and things like that and, and Debbie cakes and all the little Debbies and Twinkies and all that. I, I, we didn't have much of that. Every once in a while, she'd buy me a ding-dong. Remember the ding-dongs? I mean, I felt, I mean, I'd like, I'd like, uh, I chugged down ding-dongs like, you know, left and right. They wouldn't last long because we never had. So my dad, he would from time to time go to the grocery store and he would secretly buy Chips Ahoy cookies and Oreos. But he wouldn't tell nobody. And I remember one day I was looking in the closet for a coat to wear and I'm lifting up some sweaters and there's some more, a box of Oreos. How does Oreos get in the clothes closet? So I did what any good son would do. I got some milk and I just put those things where they needed to go. A few days later, my, my dad's like, hey, where's the Oreos? Well, I don't know. There's Oreos in the house. Yeah. Well, probably in the pantry where all the other food is. Don't you think, Dad? He didn't know what to say because he didn't want to blow his cover. And then I grew up and I had three kids of my own. And guess what I started doing? I'm hiding the Oreos. Can you believe that? I mean, and they find them. I could, I could hide them in the trash can. They dig them out and eat them. <laughs> Servants don't ask where the keys to the car are, but sons do. Hey, Dad, can I borrow the car? Got a date? Yeah. Just make sure it's filled up with gas when you get home. Okay. Servants don't expect an inheritance. Sons do. Servants don't ask for the credit card. Sons do. Servants don't fall asleep on the couch with a bag of chips. 
with crumbs hanging out of their lips, with the TV on. Sons do. I mean, there's a different relationship with the family when you realize you're a son and you're not a servant. And I believe God's heart hurts because sometimes he thinks all these people that call themselves children of God, all they think is that, 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 that I, I'm just some slave master and the only way I love them is by the things that they do. Can I tell you, if you quit doing one last thing, he couldn't love you any more today than he did yesterday. He loves you all the time, no matter what you do or don't do. And the son mindset says that all that God has is now available to me. We have another Monday morning small group that I'm a part of and a bunch of guys, a lot of them do construction. I just love this small group on Monday mornings. And and one of the guys in the the group, we were just kind of talking about the subject a few weeks ago, and he said this, he, he quoted Tim Keller, a great pastor up in the New York area, and he said Tim Keller said, he read it, and I thought it was powerful. He said this, that no one comes into a sovereign king's presence while he is sleeping and asks for a drink of water, except for a son. Let me say it again. No one comes into a sovereign king's presence while he is sleeping and asks for a cup of water, except a son. Maybe we should pull on Jesus' coattails, on the Father's coattails a little bit more than we do. Because we are sons. We just don't realize that sometimes. In the church world, we call it sonship, walking in your sonship. In the understanding that I am a son, a son, not the son, a son of God. 1 John 4, 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like what? Jesus. In the King James Version, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. Think about that. Turn to your neighbor, tap him on the shoulder, and tell him, you just look like Jesus. You just look like Jesus, man. I, I'm like shocked. Yeah. Most Christians, however, are trying to be like Jesus instead of just understanding from the get-go we have become like Jesus. How do we become a son? Well, obviously we understand you become a son when you ask him into your heart. You ask the Father, Father, would you come into my heart? Jesus, would, would you come and begin to rule your life through me? Father, I surrender my life to you. I turn over my authority to you. I give you all of my rights. My life is now yours. The moment you surrender all your rights and you give them to the Father, then guess what? You become a son. And then the Holy Spirit steps in and he comes alongside of the Father like a football coach and he says, we're going to get you in shape. You're too, you're too fat. You're too slow. You're, you're, too, you're too dumb. Come on, wait, he don't say that, but what? 
Maybe a coach would, but not the Holy Spirit. But we're going to help you. We're going to sharpen you. We're going to maximize your talents. We're going to teach you how to, how to run this position. We're going to get you right in tip-top shape. And so the Holy Spirit comes. And what's he do? He was, sent by, he was sent by the Father after Jesus vacated the earth and went back to the Father. God sent the, the Holy Spirit, and he comforts us, and he gives us gifts, and he reminds us uh, what Jesus said about ourselves, and he gives us power. And now our goal is to become and move into this thing called sonship. We are no longer working for God's love like the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. We've now moved into a new covenant where we become like the son Jesus and we move into a sonship where we literally become like Jesus in the earth. Isn't that some good news for somebody this morning? Come on, can you give God some praise for that? Well, I'm going to have the worship team come. We're out of time. I'm sorry for those that Look at your notes and go, how come he can never finish his notes? <laughs> but to be a son of the Father means that, that we've now been adopted by him into his family. I love that. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, I mean, in the old Jewish culture, <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Listen to me when I say this. In the old culture, in the tradition of the Jewish culture, when, you're a, when you were born as a child into the family, the father considers you a servant. You're just a servant. And I, I think many times growing up as a kid, that's what exactly what, how I felt. <laughs> All I, I said that one time to my parents after I, they gave me this little cheap uh, lawnmower, you know, to mow about two acres of, you know, grass, you know, this, this hard, beat-up little lawnmower after about four or five hours. I, I was so angry. I came into the house one night. I don't know if you remember this, Mom. I said, I ain't nothing but a slave around here. That's what I said to him. I said, there's got to be laws about this. This is not right. I'm just, I'm just a slave. But actually in Jewish culture, that is exactly how a father looked at his child. But there would come a point where he felt like his son had grown up and had now become mature and they would have a big celebration and he would say to everyone there, this is now my son. I've now adopted this young man into my family. And he is now my son. They would literally use the word, I am now adopting him into my family. He now is my son. I want you all to know this is my son. It was a big celebration. Was he the son before? Well, yes, but no. But now when the father announces that this is my son, now the son has absolute access to everything daddy has. And if the father needs the son to go into town and buy some groceries, he gives him his signet ring and the son goes into town and says, here's daddy's ring, just put it on the tab. He now has the full authority to make the decisions that his dad has. And, and so what I'm saying is that, they, that when Jesus died, uh, he, he literally what he did is he gave us the opportunity to come and become adopted into the family of God. We're no, we're no longer working for God's love. He loves us and now calls us sons. Ephesians 4, so Christ himself gave the apostles 
gave us the apostles, the evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service. So as the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity and faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Get this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. What? Did you get attaining? This is us attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we literally can walk into a sphere, into a realm of, of relationship with our living Father. That literally we are no different than Christ was in the earth. We walk in the fullness of Christ and the fullness of who he is in the earth. But we've been bound down so long with this mentality, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. We sing songs. I'm just a worm. I'm just a little bit of nothing. I'm a th- I'm, I'm God, I don't even know why you even look at me, consider me, think about me. Oh God, I'm so little, I'm so messed up, I'm so this, I'm so that. That, that literally we can never do anything for God because all we look about is our faults. That's all we think about is our faults. And God goes, listen, get your mind out of the gutter. I've seated you with me in heavenly places. I got kingdom authority to give you. I got things for you to accomplish. Uh, Come on, let's forget about the past. Uh, Let's forget about your faults. Uh, Why don't you think about who I am in you? Come on, somebody. Why don't you spend your time thinking about who I am inside you? That's a game changer right there. I've struggled in my own personal walk with the Lord with it's a true confession here with uh, I've become really over time I became really good at evaluating myself and looking at my faults and my flaws and I, and I would spend so much time just evaluating myself and I had this self-evaluation problem because every time I evaluated myself, I saw all of my, my ineps, my shortcomings. I, I, it's all I could see. I, and I never really found anything good in me. Even though I've been redeemed and set free and bought with a price, I, I felt discouraged. I would have doubts. I would have fears and unbelief. And, and I was totally, if you would, uh, paralyzed with this desire to be holy that I could never do anything for God. Because when I would go to pray, I couldn't pray for nobody because I'm still worried about myself and thinking about me. I couldn't do anything for God to help somebody because I'm all worried about me. I'm thinking about me and, oh God, forgive me and, oh God, help me and, oh God, uh, forgive me. Oh God, oh God, me, me, God, me, me, God. And, And God's like, hey! Was not my sacrifice sufficient? <laughs> and this is what he this what he's, this what he shared with me. I gave you the Holy Ghost. And when I want to straighten you up, son, I'll straighten you up. And you won't have any doubt about it. all this year.
It's all about the yellow, brother. It's about the yellow. So, so I felt like the Holy Spirit saying, listen, just let me just, let's just walk together and, and just, just concentrate on a couple of things. Concentrate being lost in my presence. Concentrate on spending time in the Word because the Word's like a sword. It, it cuts us. And concentrate on being a part of the fellowship, the family, because many times the Lord uses a brother to wound us or a sister to wound us for our good, right? So if you just spend time in worship and spend time in the Word and spend time with the family, you're going to be all right. Now just start moving forward. Get in, get, get in, get in the, the, the fray and start seeing me do something marvelous in your world. Amen. So I'm going to lead us, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and we're going to pray this together. And it's going to be like an out loud thing. But before we do, if if you never met Jesus, and invite Him into your heart, you've never surrendered your life to the Father, then today you can do that. In fact, we're going to have the prayer teams come and stand right here in front of us right now. And, and if you ever want to, if you want to know Jesus as your Lord, we we want you to come and have prayer with our prayer teams. They, they've been prayed up. They're ready to talk and visit and pray with you. And we'll give you a Bible as well as when you leave today. And uh, they're outside in the lobby. Give you some material. If you need prayer about anything, they're, they're here for you. But I want you to pray this prayer with me right there where you're sitting. We're going to pray it out loud. It's, it's a little long, not too bad. But I want you to pray it with me. Say it out loud. Father, you know I don't do well. When I look inward, so I'm going to stop. I'm relying on you to point out things I don't see. I'm going to stay in the Word, which is a sword. I'm going to stay in your presence, which is like a fire that melts my heart. And I'm going to stay in fellowship. Because iron sharpens iron. So, Father, use these tools. Use your word. Use your presence. Use the fellowship until Jesus alone is seen in my life. I believe you've given me your heart and mind. And by grace, I'm a new creation. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we stand to our feet? Can we celebrate it this morning? Come on, give God some praise and thank Him this morning. Come on, He's a good God.